Welcome to Replant Bootcamp, the boots on the ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. 180 has just launched two new products that we think could really help your church. Stick around to the end of the podcast to hear more. For episode 10, we had the privilege of being able to pick up the conversation where we left off in episode 9 when we got to talk with Pastor Fred Luter, hear his story, his legacy. And now in episode 10, we get to see the continuation of that legacy and his son, Chip Luter. Chip grew up hanging out with Fred, always around in the church, uh, surrendered a call to ministry early in life, left for Dallas Baptist University, spent seven years in Dallas getting to serve in ministry, came back to the city of New Orleans to serve at Franklin Avenue Baptist Church with his dad in youth ministry, which is where I got to meet him and become friends with Chip. And then shortly after I received a calling to Florida to replant a dying church, Chip did the same thing and moved to much further south in Tampa, Florida, to replant a dying church as a campus of Idlewild. We think it's a great story to hear the legacy passed down from Fred to Chip, and we want to share that with you. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. It just helps us get the word out. We would also love to hear from you. What are your questions? What are the stories that you want to hear? What are the things you want to be on this podcast? It is our heart and desire for this to be listener-driven. All right, sit back, listen in as we discuss with Chip Luter. So what has it meant for you, Chip, to, to kind of grow up in your dad's shadow, if you even want to use that language of... Yeah, well, the, the amazing thing is, and it's interesting, when we, I learned the most about this journey now today than I ever have growing up. Like Even like as we were talking and my dad was doing the interview, there were some things he said then that was like, wait, really? You know, like I, like I know some of the big parts of the story, but the thing I think that was, um, that's incredible is, I guess you don't really capture all the moments like your parents do all these years. You know, I was, so, I was just a kid. And I think one thing I do appreciate about my dad is that my dad allowed me and my sister to be kids. I, I find myself doing that with my kids today that I, I got to have a balance of, hey, yeah, I want y'all to slow down. But I know I was a church kid too. So I, I crawled under the, the bleachers. And, I, and so now with my kids, even Jim, when I was with you guys, uh, when we did our little mini vacation in Jacksonville, you know, we, they're running around and I was trying to tell them, and your wife was like, no, she's, they're good, they're good, <laughs> because, you know, it just PKs, man. And, and so I think I never really got to capture all those moments. I think the most significant moments I can remember growing up was, one, getting the new sanctuary built in 98. Um, and I can also remember when my dad did, as the first African-American, to do the convention message. When the church was that young and I was that young, as I grew up, the church was growing. The magnitude of what was happening wasn't as much to me because like, well, this is my church. We've been, we've been growing. Yeah. I've been growing. Uh, but yeah. now today in reflecting on just the start of it and even looking how when other flash in the pan pastors and preachers and teachers and, you know, pulpiteers, you know, like, like I, one, one of the best things I've, I've seen observed in my dad's ministry, I would say is to, I was, I was so privileged to watch a shepherd. I, I got to be honest and I don't want to cast any aspersions, on anybody, but I just don't meet a lot of pastors who are shepherds today. Um, you got a lot of good communicators, a lot of great teachers, a lot of great writers. And for the people who do that as an evangelist and they're on the circuit and that's what they do, that's okay. But when I meet a pastor and it seems like 
the staff knows the church more than more than he does or if it seems like his main role at the church is you know i'm in the study during the week so i can just deliver a message on sunday and it's like i just don't see shepherding and that's one thing that's what i loved about watching my dad uh, as i got older to see it for myself especially when i got to be on staff with him of what it looks like to be a pastor shepherd and yeah. not just one who's preaching week to week because even all the stuff that my dad just told you i'm thinking as, as we're doing interviews like Man, this has got to be in a book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, listen, this got to be on something, you know. Uh, but the replant boot camp podcast, man, it doesn't get <laughs> bigger than this. <laughs> and, and we should do a launch party with the chicken dinner. That's it. <laughs> if the book is dependent on my dad to get it done, it will never get done. No, because no. even now, he, you know, he does this. In, he squeezes this in with us today. And then he not, then he has a meeting with with a few pastors that he's going to do. Of course, Friday he's going to be with my mom and and do that every week. But I guarantee you, every weekend he's either got a funeral or a wedding. I mean, just just I mean, he still does hospital visitations. He still does premarital counseling. He still does marriage counseling. And when I look at the stuff he still does, that most pastors today would be listen, man. No, I I don't have that much. I'm not doing all that. Because I'm I'm called to preach, and I'm gonna preach the message, and I've equipped the staff to do that. So, you know, and everybody's got their way to do it, but I'm just glad I got to do that because I believe it, it prepared me for what I do today in this context, in this community, because I just, I just love on the people. I, yeah. I just, you know, praise God that I have opportunity to preach and I have opportunity to teach the Bible, but I really see a lot of my preaching and teaching as a byproduct of the shepherding. And I believe I'm able to engage my, my uh, church and my member and my members. I engage them well because I'm with them. And that's probably one of the best lessons I learned. And my dad, obviously, as a father and family member, I never felt like I was an inconvenience to my dad. All the thing that I really love, I could interrupt a meeting, but he wouldn't get mad. It wouldn't be like, Chip, I'm in a meeting. Get out of here. It was always, hey, son, you need something? Okay, yeah. well, mm-hmm. I'm in a meeting. I'll talk, hey, we, I'll talk to you after. Even today, if I call him today and he's got to answer the phone, he say, hey, I'm with somebody. Are you okay? So, I, so me almost never felt like an inconvenience. We never set, felt second fiddle. So I think just as he shepherded his church where he just he just cared for his flock he wanted to be the best pastor shepherd his flock he was like that at home with my mom me and my sister i would put head to head your dad head to head with any pastor of what we would categorize now as a mega church and guarantee you your dad knows the names and and stories of more of his church members than any than i mean i i guarantee you i could put him head to head with any other mega church pastor yeah, well, y'all might, have to, y'all might have to edit this part too, but I'm going to answer that real quickly. But even Jibble, even as you were talking, one of the things I, I loved about I love about our friendship, our friendship is also even an impact of his ministry too. Because yes. one thing I watched my dad do so well as a pastor is not live in isolation. Mm-hmm. He, 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 and, you, and you've seen this with him at work. When it comes to networking, when it comes to a, a brotherhood of pastors and being alongside other pastors and having that presence where you're present with other pastors, that was when I got to New Orleans and heard about Jimbo. Like one thing I, since I saw my dad do that so many, I senior pastor said, well, I need a group of youth pastors. And uh, Bob, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Jimbo was the elder statesman of youth pastors. I mean, how, how Fred Luters looked at senior pastors. When it came to youth pastors, we all wanted to sit at the feet of Jimbo. And uh, oh, man. <laughs> I'll tell you. So it was just, uh, but so yeah, so even our friendship, because I knew how important it was for me not to just look at my ministry as, hey, this is just what I run. I, do, I look at look for nobody else. And I think our friendship, because I knew I needed to know other youth pastors, uh, was like that, was a big impact with ministry. So 
Uh, praise God for that. Uh, but I would say, yeah, man, those those family days, man, uh, it, it means so much because it. I never felt like I competed with the church. Mm. And it's something I hear about from pastors' kids, other pastors' kids who who may have you know had dads that may not have had that kind of balance. But you know, th- I cannot think about a time in my life when I didn't like the church. That's great. Tell us about you're doing a replant as a campus and what you're what you're learning as a replanter about five years in now. I was not looking for this uh, at all. And I think Jimbo would even know this. Matter of fact, Jimbo, I think it's, it's even hilarious how between me, you and Scooter, yeah. uh, you would have never thought when we were sitting together in New Orleans to, uh, <laughs> you know, just to plant the flag, grow ministries, work, you know, preaching together and, and working together and just, I mean, I was loving, loving being home. I spent seven years in Dallas because I, I went to Dallas Baptist University in 2002, graduated in 06, got on staff with a, a great church called Concord Church, which is now run by Brian Carter. It was E.K. Bailey, a uh, legend of, of a preacher uh, for years, founded that church, but Brian Carter's new pastor. I served under him from 2007, 2009. Um, and listen, guys, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, you know, I got on staff at my dad's church, January, 2010. When did the Saints win the Super Bowl? I'm not saying who did I, 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 I better get back to New Orleans, man. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. And listen, I, and I never forget when I moved, when we came to Tampa in, in May, 2015, the Tampa Bay lightning were on the doorsteps of winning the Stanley cup. And I was okay, like, wait, wait, oh, wait, wait, come on. Wait, what, what happened when you lived in Dallas? Cause I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, man. Well, where was the magic then? Huh? what i'm saying like it wasn't it, it wasn't with them no not I, the mavericks i think won during that time frame i think the mavericks won yeah, championship right. you had to go back to new orleans to get that gree gree <laughs> man you guys are dropping those new orleans terms i have no idea what you're talking about yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially with coming out but yeah but i was settled in new orleans and i really i loved home me and my wife we had actually been in our first home that we had our first home that we had purchased uh we were there and um but but i i won't forget when um i got the phone call uh from from Idlewild. uh well really i got a friend of mine who was actually interviewed for this position before me and when he turned it down and it wasn't that it was a bad opportunity just didn't feel the lord lead him in this direction and uh and uh, me and him still talk to this day I, I mean i have a great time um tearing him down uh at his expense because i'm like yeah you know obviously the church made a better decision uh, and so, <laughs> but we, uh, but we keep in touch and, and, uh, and so, but he basically, he gave them my name when they asked him about somebody else. Cause one thing I got to respect about Idlewild, Idlewild was intentional in saying, we want a person of color to lead this campus. Now it could have been seen as a, they just wanted a token. Uh, but they were very intentional in saying the the church that was dying was a, was an all white church. And the youngest person in the church was in their sixties. Church had grown down to about eight people. And this neighborhood is about 60% black, 30% white, 18% Hispanic. 50% of the neighborhood is 18 and younger. Wow. So you just look at the demographic of this church, and, they, and, they, and I, know I was intentional in saying, given the, 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 multi, the, the diversity of the neighborhood, uh, they were intentional about having a person of color, uh, but not just anybody, somebody they felt was very qualified for the job. Honestly, I didn't want to be qualified for the job. I wanted them to choose a token black guy so I could say no. Uh, yeah. So, was, Chip, a quick, a quick yeah. question. Was the was the church a church that was given to Idlewide to, to replant? Was it or was it? Yeah, it, 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 was, yeah, it was. Matter of fact, man, and we, we give a lot of uh, praise to that congregation, man. When we, uh, Idlewide was already doing ministry. That's another thing that I'll put out there, too. 
Idlewild did not start the church and then do ministry in the neighborhood. No, this is good. I, I know what you're about to say. And I just want to say like for anyone considering replanting uh, another church as a campus, this is one of the best strategies uh, I've ever heard leading into that process. So about, I believe it was January 2014, if my history is correct from what they told me, back in January 2014, they started doing a ministry called Adopt-A-Block. They borrowed a model from the Dream Center in LA, uh, which was to have a group of members adopt literally a block of homes that they will go knock on doors. And in LA, they do it every single Saturday. Here, they were doing it every first and third Saturday. Members of the church were coming into the neighborhood, knocking on doors and just saying, hey, how can I pray for you? How can we serve you? You know, just doing that. And that was happening for at least pretty much almost a year before the first service was ever done. And then there was block parties. So there was ministry going on in the neighborhood for them to get a connection with the neighborhood. And then the church was built. uh, And in the words of our senior pastor, Pastor Ken, Ken Whitten, he would say, we didn't just want to go to them. We wanted to grow among them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and one of the other backstories that, man, I just recently got within the last year, which I didn't know, our senior pastor apparently has been doing something, ever, I, I don't know how long, I don't know how long specifically it started, and I don't know if it's ever since he's been to Tampa, because he actually used to serve at Bellevue as a singles pastor years ago under Adrian Rogers, who was his father in ministry. Uh, but he just completed, he just got to 30 years here at Idlewild. But he, I just recently found this out. Apparently he met every new mayor that every time a new mayor is elected in Tampa, he, he sets up a meeting with the mayor. He don't care how long it takes, five months, six months. And he goes to the mayor and says, how can I help you be successful? Mm-hmm. And, the la- and, when, uh, and about that time that they were doing, they were looking at ministry in Tampa. Uh, when we had a new mayor, Bob Buckhorn, that was uh, elected, he went to Bob Buckhorn and said, it's about how can I help you be successful? Is there, a, is there a place in the city that we can help you out and serve? And he mentioned Sulphur Springs. And, and suffering wasn't even on church's radar, but he met with the mayor and he said, okay, we're going to explore this. Here's the other connection. That's pretty crazy. How only God can do this kind of sovereignty. Uh, let me grab this. We still have this old program. <laughs> we, uh, this is from 1961. And by the way, I don't know if y'all notice uh, what, what doctrinal stances they have. Uh, you see missionary, premillennial, biblical, baptistic. Uh, <laughs> is that on the bulletin? That's on the bulletin. All right. It's going to let you know. We're not playing around here, all right? All right. Hey, okay, we, we got to scan that. We got to put that on the show notes, man. We yeah, gotta yeah, man. But in this, right. in this program, the prelude is done by Mrs. McDougal at the organ. Mrs. McDougal is the mom of the executive pastor, Brian McDougal, here at Idlewild Church. Wow. Our executive wow. pastor was saved in this church as a child. And even the pew that he was saved on, he now has that pew in his office. Wow. Okay, so there's already a special connection of the church, and another thing, no one said this is 1961. The WMU in the announcement section, the WMU quarterly meeting will be be at the Idlewild Baptist Church Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. That's when Idlewild used to be within about 10, five, 10 minutes from this location before where they're now in Lutz, Florida. And so only God knew those kind of fingerprints were happening, and so it just wasn't by accident that this was the church that Iowa felt led to meet with and did not know God moved us to Tampa, not only for the work he was equipping me to do in this community, but in our own marriage and our family. And so, man, I can tell you, man, our marriage and our family is a lot stronger than it could have been in one because I think just the new set of challenges and the thing of, as we go through these struggles, my parents are a phone call away, but I'm, it's not like I can just go 
five to 10 minutes, I don't know, five minutes down the road where we lived from them, you know? And so it just caused me and my wife to have a deeper life of prayer and connection and, and communicating. And then also it was a smaller church because I think when we got here, it was about, I think, 60 to 70, somewhere between 60 to 80 in attendance every uh, So how much of that was from Idlewild or, or is that all just uh, Trinity? That's, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, Idlewild, another great thing that they did when they took over the church was to ask the members of the Lutz campus, uh, as a percentage of them, I think they asked, I think the number was 60. I thought it was 100, I heard, but I think it's 60. I'm trying to review these things now because April 5th, 2020, we'll make five years. Yeah. I'm actually trying to think about some things we can do to celebrate that five years and bring those people back. But about 60 members committed to this campus to make this their worship campus for a year. So when they can look at going to church on Sunday, bringing them and their kids for yeah. a year. Yeah. And as a church, and now today, you have a lot more people who are of the neighborhood and who are, and who are here. I mean, we're, we're currently on average, maybe run every Sunday about maybe uh, 160 um, yeah. uh, every week. And a lot, and that, that number used to be, well, of the 160, you know, 60 to 80 is Lutz campus, you know, but no, today uh, it's, it's uh, you got a large part and, uh, and there were some members, not all, but there were some, who after being here for a year and loving the ministry in this context, they stayed. Yeah. I think that's something that blew my mind too, was that you had people who I knew when I first met them, hey, they're only here while we gain some momentum. And I used to appreciate them. I say all the time, I say, thank you for making this your campus. I appreciate you helping us get started and, and all these things. And man, I never forget when, when, when the year came up, there were some people who weren't going anywhere. <laughs> we're just engaging people from so many different paths of life and you never know what you're gonna get. And I think from a group of people who might have been living in the suburbs with a lot of people that look like them, think like them, maybe vote like them, have money like them, to be in such a different context with different financial backgrounds, religious backgrounds, spiritual experiences, that, man, they're meeting people, even, and especially racially. Oh, man, I can't say enough. My dad already mentioned about the multicultural. I can't say enough about how much I'm blessed. I think a lot of times replants are in communities that have changed. I think one of the reasons a lot of churches die is white flight and transitioning communities. Uh, and it's a, a lot of these churches are dying. And so the goal when you end up in a community like where our church is or your church is, is to represent the community, which happens to be very multicultural. So it's not multicultural for the sake of being multicultural, right? But it's multicultural in, in a missional, uh, ecclesiological understanding of that the church is for that right. community. Uh, but man, that's a hard thing to accomplish. If there's a guy replanting in a multicultural context, what are some things you would share with them on how, how to go about accomplishing that? Well, once again, it started back with, even when you started, uh, like, you know, Jim Bameen, you know, Cam Triggs, right? Um, yeah. and, and Cam, uh, I'm still remember when Cam was planning and he knew he was going to Orlando and Cam, even when he started, I remember Cam Triggs sharing about the diversity of his leadership team even going down there yeah. and talking about being intentional from the very beginning. Uh, but I think the other part is Cam's relationships were diverse enough where that could happen. I think even when you look at me, uh, my, my dad and Ken Witten were are good friends. They knew, they knew of each other um, even well before I got introduced to, introduced to Ken Witten. My dad knew each other. But then even my relationship was, my, my circle was diverse enough to where I had enough people that knew me. Diverse. So I think relationally it starts there. But then when you look at this community, I think certain communities won't be diverse because of their, their makeup. 
here, I believe we're as diverse as we are today because we started in the community first. Mm, uh, we, I mean, we, we, the people that were drawn to the church weren't drawn because we built multicultural experiences in worship. Because even today what we have, it's a blessing what we have today, but I, I can, I, there's not a single meeting I remember of sitting down going, okay, so we're going to do this contemporary Christian song. Then we're going to do this gospel. We got Chris Tomlin, Kirk Franklin, you know, and then Pat Barrett, you know, we, like we, we didn't, we didn't plan. And then, uh, then pastor Ken, Hey, you're going to preach this Sunday and then pastor Chip and we're going to do preaching in black and white. And so we're going to do, you know, I mean, we go, I mean, there was never this plan, but I believe because of the mix up of the people who were constantly going into the community, they didn't see just a white person coming to the door. They didn't just see just a black. They saw a mixture of people. And even if somebody, uh, like we have a guy at our church now, it was a group of white people that went to his door and knocked on his door and invited him to a block party. And uh, he's an African-American man that, uh, man, he, he, he had kind of just sworn off church. And so for him to just, uh, he, had, he was burnt. He was hurt by a pastor really bad. His testimony is incredible. But he was hurt by a pastor pretty bad, scarred. And he said he'd never been to any church, right? But then for a group of white people from a church to show up to his door, especially in the racial division in our culture today, right? Yeah. Uh, like if, I, if he's not going to go to any church, especially not going to go to a church with a bunch of white people, right? Yeah. <laughs> but what happened was we, they invited him. We were having a block party right down the street from where his house was. He came to the block party. And at the block party, he met me. He met some other members. And so because of just the diversity there, we invited him in. We got to know him. And it was the buy-in before he ever even got to the sanctuary. Mm. That was the critical thing. And I think that there are some churches that, that because they're established so long, that the work they have to do to be more diverse is a different work because they, because they were so predominantly one way for so long. Uh, but in a church start like this, when your community is already diverse, it helped that we started connecting with the people before they ever got into the building. And then once they got into the building, we just being who we are, you know, because I bring... Um, me being African-American and being from mostly inner city, I just bring that to the table. I can't hide that. But at the same time, I've had enough diverse relationships and diverse um, settings that I don't, when, when you hear me speak, you don't just think, well, he's just communicating to black people. Uh, then we have a guy, my, my guy, Matt Stenberg, who's our worship leader and choir director. Uh, Matt, uh, he's a white guy from Minnesota. And, and Matt is Minnesota, okay? <laughs> and then when Pastor Ken was preaching here, from time to time when the campus first started, um, it was that same kind of just relational aspect. So we didn't really have to work at having the look because it was already kind of embedded with the collection of people who came together. And then as we had one heartbeat just to reach a community and just doing things that didn't require uh, racial diversity. I mean, block parties, knocking on doors, praying for people. I mean, and when we come to worship, I would give suggestions about songs. And then we had some great ladies in the choir who have a strong gospel background who would suggest songs. And Matt was open enough to say, hey, let's try these songs. And, uh, and that's something I think that has, that has helped us to this day is that nobody's getting all their preferences. You know, <laughs> that, that we're all Right. because we have a love for the mission of the church and the people we're ministering to and not for our own preference. Like for Sunday morning, most of my members are looking for the new people who are coming that they can engage with and not about, hey, let me have this great service and hear my songs and hear my preaching. Right. They're like, man, I'm hope the person I just invited yesterday come to church today. I got their spot next to me waiting. And I think that kind of heartbeat really helped. 
uh, in your story, tying it back to uh, the previous episode with your dad and just the growing up under the legacy of, of Fred Luter, the things that you got to pull from him. I love how you talked about seeing your dad consistently as a shepherd. I mean, anybody has heard Fred Luter preach, know that, man, I, he can he can preach. More than a preacher, your dad showed you what it is to be a pastor. And he also was a great example to you on making sure family always feels like a priority. Family always knows that they're, I love the way you said, you never felt like an inconvenience to your dad. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good word for any pastor to hear. But then even in in replanting, in your journey of replanting, man, I I think the things we've learned have been so good of of engaging the community well. If you're going to replant as a campus, engaging the community before you replant, right? Before. And so, and then as far as, multicultural. It, it, again, it's the ministering of the community. Everyone laying down their preferences. Mission goes above preference. Hey, one of the things that, that really stood out to me was, Chip, you're describing the call to Idlewild there, where um, specifically your wife felt the calling there to, to move out on faith, to, to take the call there, even knowing that it was going to be hard to leave family, the safety, security of, of what you knew uh, in terms of, of being in your dad's church. I think that's really an important piece of, of the replant call is the spouse has to be on board because it's going to be hard and it's going to be challenging. And so, uh, again, I think we're with the looters, man, we're just kind of ticking off all the 13 characteristics of what it means to be a replanter. Yeah, right? absolutely. And throwing in some great stories about, you know, uh, just connections and, and family and all those sorts of things. So, um, man, it's great to, great to connect with Chip and his dad and just hear the legacy of, the looters and and their involvement in replanting uh, specifically as key African-American leaders um, in the convention, brothers to, to us, uh, and um, just the history and the experience that they bring to it. Amazing. So thankful. And, yeah. and guys, I don't want to extend it anymore, but I think also the thing that uh, stands out to me as you talk about when my dad being a shepherd is, and I'm sure this probably comes up with what you guys say a lot and do, uh, transparency and humility. Um, at, at, when you are allowing your family to be that connected to, when you're not isolating yourself, you're also opening yourself up for people to see your flaws. And one thing that I admire about my dad, which he still does to this day, if you, if you opened up another podcast and just talk about, hey, Pastor, tell me some things that if you could do it all over again, what things would you do differently? Mm. He, he is, he is, he, he'll wear his mistakes on his sleeve. To, and to this day, if we get in a conversation, he said, yeah, Chad, listen, I, I did not do this well. I hope you do better in this area growing up. And I think, uh, I think other replanters, we really need to know that, man, it, it's not a problem for people to see your scar. And so I think that's a good thing. As a shepherd, you also remember you're not Jesus. So he was a perfect, <laughs> but us as, as under shepherds, we, we're, we're uh, flawed and finite. That's good. All right. Well, we want to thank our sponsor, 180 Digital, is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. They've just launched two awesome new products to help churches, church plants, church replants. The first one of those is called Launchpad. It's an all-in-one custom branding and website bundle developed specifically for planters, replanters, and revitalizers who need to get things moving quickly. The second thing is Church QuickSight. It was created for churches working with tight budgets, and they can help them get amazing new church website up in as little as one week at a really affordable price. Check out 180.church. That's O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about these special new offerings and how 180 can help your church move.